Hi, this is Sarah McCaslin with the Forgotten Sheep Podcast. And in this podcast, we're going to look at part two of three of the life of Irish missionary Amy Carmichael. When we stopped off in the last podcast, Amy was feeling a call to the mission field and was frankly being discouraged by some of the older Christians with whom she sought counsel. And she was accused of things like being selfish or um, seeking adventure. And no doubt this hurt Amy's heart. But listen to this. Uh, this is an excerpt of a poem that Amy wrote. And I think this summarizes Amy's response to those criticisms. The call of God is upon me, and I cannot stay till I my work have done and rendered up account. They may have told Amy that she wasn't really called, but in her heart she knew she was. And so she's decided that she is called, but she doesn't know where the Lord wants her to go. So her first attempt to get into the mission field was to apply with the China Inland Mission. After all, it was J. Hudson Taylor, founder of the China Inland Mission, who was speaking the night that Amy felt very strongly that she was indeed called to the mission field. Well, Amy was accepted by the China Inland Mission and was due to accompany an experienced lady missionary named Mary Geraldine Guinness. And this lady was heading out back to the mission field in China and arrangements were made that Amy would accompany her and begin her missionary work there. However, there was a medical doctor who examined all would-be missionaries and in order to go to the mission field for the China Inland Mission, you had to have his stamp of approval. And he refused to certify Amy. He felt that Amy's health was simply too weak for the mission field. And as a result, Amy was not accepted as a missionary. Now, here's what's uncanny about this. No doubt the hand of the Lord was definitely guiding Amy in a different direction. The group that Amy would have been assigned to go with were all murdered, were all killed. And no doubt, if Amy had gone to China at that time, she would have been with them and she too would have been killed. And the Lord had a work for Amy to do, but it wasn't in China. Well, um, of course, Amy didn't know immediately about those missionaries being killed. All she knew was that a door had closed. Now, I'd mentioned the gentleman she called the dear old man, Mr. Wilson. Well, Mr. Wilson's response to this was rejoicing. He said he felt like God had given him his Isaac back. It almost seemed like he wanted to take possession of Amy, like she was his daughter. In fact, he went so far as to ask Amy to add his last name with her last name. So a lot of her early writings were published not under the name of Amy Carmichael, but Amy Wilson-Carmichael. Well, you know, we belong to the Lord, and sometimes, as humans, we get unhealthy attachments to people, or people get unhealthy attachments to us. However, we can depend on the Lord to help us with those situations. And the Lord was not yet through working with Amy. The Lord did call Amy to be a missionary, and he did call her to the mission field, just not China. Well, Amy attended yet another Keswick convention with um, Mr. Wilson, the dear old man, who she abbreviated in a lot of her letters 
uh, as D-O-M for dear old man. Now, money had been donated as seed money to fund some Keswick missionaries. So the Keswick Convention wanted to send out its own group of missionaries. Now, guess who their first choice for a Keswick missionary was? It was Amy. Apparently, there were many people in the Keswick Convention that did feel that Amy was called to the mission field and that Amy had a work that the Lord was wanting her to do, and there were many prayers going up. And so the Lord closed the door as far as Amy being a part of the China Inland Mission and going to China, and the Lord has opened up another door totally unexpected through the Keswick Convention. Well, the doors opened. And we know that Amy goes to India eventually, but not quite yet. The doors open for Amy to go to Japan. Now, the parting was very difficult for Amy. She said it was something that she really never recovered from, leaving behind her mother and her brothers and sisters. And on board ship, Amy said she spent a great deal of her time very seasick, but she still tried to reach out to as many people as possible. And the missionary party that she was with spent a great deal of time singing hymns as the ship was leaving. In fact, they sang so many hymns that the people decided they must be Salvation Army. (laughs) Well, Amy, Amy survived the experience and was busy giving talks and witnessing on board ship. Well, by the time Amy arrives at her final destination in Japan, She's the only one of that group of missionaries on board the ship still. And so when she arrives in beautiful, mysterious Japan, there's no one to meet her at the ship. So here's Amy, 20-something Amy, not knowing a single word of Japanese, practically dumped on the dock in a foreign land with all her things, And, you know, a lot of us in that situation, we'd probably get a little scared. Some of us might get angry at the ineptitude of the people that should have been meeting us. We'd all have our different reactions. You know what Amy's reaction was? Amy laughed. Rather than get scared, Amy found it so absolutely ridiculous that she started to laugh. Well, no doubt some of the Japanese thought this poor foreign woman has lost her mind. We need to get her out of the street. So they figured she was English, and some Japanese dropped her off in the care of a very puzzled American gentleman who was then able to help Amy find her way to the missionary headquarters where she was supposed to be working. And the missionaries were overjoyed to see Amy. Um, They explained that the missionary that was supposed to meet her at the dock had been delayed. So Amy arrived safe and sound in Japan. And Japan would never be the same. (laughs) No, not quite that, but she did have an impact. And it had an impact on her. Well, one of Amy's hobbies was drawing, doing pencil sketches, and she was very good at it. And she drew a lot of beautiful sketches of the way things looked there in Japan. The beautiful pagodas, um, the beautiful flowers, Well, Amy said the headquarters were quite beautiful. And from one of the rooms, they could see the corner of a beautiful Japanese castle. And the church itself that the missionaries were using, that the missionaries had converted into a church, was a former Shinto Buddhist temple. And so Amy just drank in all of the beauty around her. And she said one thing she noticed 
that almost everything in Japan was made of paper, including the walls. And if you wanted to spy on somebody, she said, I think she saw maybe saw some kids doing this or something, you could lick your thumb and touch the paper wall, and the paper would become translucent enough for you to peek through. <laughs> well, Amy said that one of her major problems upon her first foray into the mission field was the food. The food was difficult to adjust to, especially the black sea slugs. But Amy followed this mantra that she adopted for herself. Where he leads me, I will follow. What he feeds me, I will swallow. <laughs> so she managed to survive that. Um, she also was amazed at that time in Japan when the, uh, people would take baths. You know, they wanted to conserve the warm water. So they had this huge pot and it would be maybe... The mom and dad both taking a bath at the same time. And it seemed like they always set those big bathing pots, so to speak, bathing tubs in the front window of their home. And so you would walk by and you would see people in a tub with nothing but their heads that you can see. And then down below you'd see a fire burning. And Amy said every time she thought it made her think of cannibals cooking dinner. <laughs> she had an interesting uh, sense of humor. Well, um... This was also the time of one the first time Amy came face to face with some of the truths behind missionary work that kind of were kept hidden from the people back home and she said her first disappointment came when there were missionaries that were having a very ugly disagreement, and one of the other missionaries said, "Well, you didn't really think that all missionaries love each other, did you?" And Amy was disappointed. She thought they did. She thought if they all loved Jesus, that it was natural that they love each other. Well, Amy wrote about 300 pages of letters home and to the Keswick leadership, keeping them updated on what she was doing. And her letters that she wrote, uh, of course, she had very neat and pretty penmanship and they're full of illustrations all kinds of illustrations one of them shows a uh i'm looking here and one of them is showing a beautiful chinese woman playing the um i'm not sure i think the instrument is the mandolin and just pictures of flowers pictures of misadventures um one of them that she talked about was uh dropping a chestnut into the fire and it exploding and she drew a picture of a young lady just after she had done that and then Amy said you learn not to make that same mistake twice but she um, wrote the letters on unbelievably thin rice paper which was no doubt difficult to write on but she persevered and her letters were really revealed her crazy sense of humor um, she talked about <laughs> Uh, they were going to send some silkworms back to England and about how things got translated from Japanese to English. And they were uh, some of the Japanese friends that she had were fascinated that their honorable silkworms were going to be sent to England. And I think Amy, even in one of the pictures that I'm looking at, that is an excerpt from one of Amy's letters, it even has a map of uh, the island of Japan. So... Uh, she spent a lot of time, you know, with the with the letters and reaching out back home. But as usual, Amy threw herself wholeheartedly into her work with every bit of strength and energy she had, just like she did when she built that church, the Welcome, 
for the Shawleys of uh, in Ireland. And so other missionaries would warn Amy that she needed to take some time to rest in the afternoon, but Amy wouldn't hear of it. Well, eventually, Amy found out that she actually did need to do that, that that was a wise thing to do. Now, here's something else. Again, I mentioned Amy having an impact on Japan, on uh, missionaries in Japan. Amy had begun to realize that her European-style clothing, I think Victorian England, uh, were a distraction as she was trying to reach people and as she was working with other missionaries trying to talk to people about the Lord. It was just a distraction. So Amy asked permission to dress like the Japanese. Permission was granted. And before long, the other missionaries in that uh, missionary compound also started to dress like the Japanese. They joined her in this. And Amy also set a powerful example of prayer, which was a lesson the Lord himself had taught Amy. And Amy was, uh, that was very important. Prayer was important to Amy her whole life after she got saved, but especially after she got out on the mission field. She realized that also there were times when there would be nobody else to pray for you. And you had to learn how to pray for yourself. Um, There may come a time in each one of our lives when we're in a situation where there is no one to pray for us. Maybe there's just nobody or we can't contact them or we're in a situation where we have to stand on our own two feet before the Lord. And so in those times, we need to know how to get a hold of the Lord for ourselves. You know, it's always good to have other Christians pray for us. It's always good if you have the opportunity at church to go to the altar and have someone pray for you. But we also have to develop that discipline in ourselves where we can pray for ourselves also. And that's something that Amy felt was very important. Well, Amy's next hurdle in missionary life after struggling with accepting the food that she was given, you know, trying to follow her mantra of where he leads me, I will follow. What he feeds me, I will swallow. And after getting it, decided that she would dress like the local Japanese. Amy struggled with learning the Japanese language. And uh, there is a picture that you can probably find on the internet if you do a search of Amy with her tutor, her Japanese tutor, uh, Misaki-san. And in the pictures, Amy uh, at a small desk, Masaki-san beside her. And Amy is dressed uh, like the Japanese. She has a beautiful kimono on, very simple. And embroidered on it in Japanese are the words, God is love. Well, Amy Amy was a trial to Masaki-san, who's trying to teach Amy to speak Japanese. And Amy once wrote home, kind of tongue-in-cheek, that they should send no more missionaries to this land of the impossible language. But she did learn it. Uh, she was able to preach successfully without a translator. So she did She did learn to speak Japanese. And she grew very close with her um, tutor, Misaki-san, who called Amy, Amy-san. Well, now we're about to get into what I think is one of the most fascinating stories of Amy's time in Japan. Truly, in my opinion, one of the most fascinating. Uh, It involves a man that was demon-possessed. A man in the neighborhood where the missionary compound was 
was said to be possessed by several kitsune, or fox demons. Uh, I think these are usually represented in Japanese art as a seven-tailed fox. And I'm probably mispronouncing every single Japanese word in here. And for those that know I'm mispronouncing it, I do apologize. It's certainly not out of any disrespect. But in Japanese mythology, there are six, seven-tailed, I believe it's seven-tailed foxes called kitsune. They're fox demons. This man was said to be possessed by a fox demon. And the gossip got around and Amy heard about it and was discussing it with Masaki-san. And his symptoms match those of biblical demon possession. What she heard, it sounded like a case of demon possession from the Bible. And so Amy felt very concerned for him. The Lord put a burden on Amy's heart. And she began to pray for him. And you know, the Lord does that for us too. He'll put someone on our heart. And we may start praying for him. And we may be the only one that the Lord has put it Put it on someone's heart. Let me, how can I phrase that more clearly? We may be the only one with a burden. Or we may be the only one to respond to that burden. And it's so important when the Lord does put a burden on our hearts. It's so important for us to respond to it. Well, Amy is praying for him. And Masaki-san joins her, also concerned. And they pray together. And they Amy looks at her Bible, and the Bible talks about that uh, Christians should be able to cast out devils. And it doesn't limit it just to preachers in the Bible. It doesn't limit it just to the apostles, but to people that become Christians. And so she begins to pray about this. And the Lord puts it on her heart to pray for this man in person. As in, cast the devils out. So, Amy talks about this with Masaki-san, and they agree to pray. And then they, they agree to pray in private, and then they're going to go over there, and they're going to pray for this gentleman. So, together, they went. Uh, they arrived. The man, if I recall correctly, was tied down. He was laying face down on the floor. There were uh, little cones of incense that had been lit and were burning on his back that were supposed to drive the demons out. But everything that the local exorcist had tried to do to drive out this kitsune wasn't working. And so Amy and Masaki-san, they pray for him. They cast the devil out of him. And it's not something like, the way Amy did it, it wasn't like you see in the movies, you know, where, or what you see on TV with a long, drawn-out battle of back and forth and back and forth. The Lord worked differently in this situation with Amy. They prayed for him quietly and they rebuked the devil and they cast the devil out of him in the name of Jesus. And then they left. And on the way back, the devil comes up to Amy and starts saying, you know what? You have done nothing but bring shame to the Lord's name because you didn't cast that devil out. You didn't do anything but shame the Lord. And Amy thought, oh no, I have shamed the Lord. And she was so, so disturbed about all of this. And she went home and she was sad. And you know, a lot of times when we take a stand for the Lord or we, we do something the Lord has led us to do, when we get through with it, the devil attacks us. And it's like at that time, our emotions and everything are more susceptible, and it's so easy to become cast down. 
So here's Amy thinking that she shamed the Lord. She shamed the missionary group. She's made an opportunity for people to mock the reality of Christianity. She's a total failure. She's feeling all these things. And the next morning, one of this man's servants arrives and tells, uh, leaves a message that the gentleman would like to see Amy and Masaki-san, that he was healed, he was delivered from those demons. See, Amy and Masaki-san had successfully cast those demons out in Jesus' name. But all along, the devil was telling them, you failed, you failed, you failed. And that's what we have to remember. When the devil comes at us and starts telling us, you failed, you failed, you failed, he's a liar, okay? And we can't cope by what those thoughts we have, you know. So it turns out the man was delivered. He was healed. He was set free. When Amy and Masaki-san went in, he was sitting there smiling at them in his right mind. No more, no more seizures, no more um, trying to throw himself into the fire. None of those things. He was in his right mind, and he thanked them for what they had done. And so he was delivered. So Amy and Masaki-san were casting devils out in their 20s. So uh, just a little bit more about this. Um, and I think maybe one of the reasons this was important that Amy go through this experience. The Lord could have used any of those missionaries, I imagine, to cast out the demon. Could have used any of the Christians in that area. But the Lord called on Amy to do it. And Amy followed the Lord's call. Well, later on, when Amy does get to India, she is going to be dealing with a lot of demonic forces, a lot of very powerful demonic forces. And that was her first... I guess you might say face-to-face -face encounter with a demon, with a man that was possessed. It would not be her last. It would not be her last encounter with the demonic. But the Lord showed Amy early on that there is victory in the name of Jesus, that there is victory through Jesus Christ, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus has already won the victory. And when we're facing spiritual battles and we're facing demons that can take so many different forms, and I don't mean physical forms, I mean demonic influence that can take so many different forms in our lives and the lives of our loved ones, we need to be like Amy and remember the promises of God. She took that promise of God the promise about Christians being able to cast out devils. And she took that promise and she stood on it and she acted on it in faith. And that is also what we need to do to take the promises of God and look at, read them, study them, stand on them and live our lives, not according to how the situation appears, but according to the promises of God. So that was a major uh, experience for Amy. And I think it's neat. You know, the Bible talks about the Lord uses the foolish things to confound the wise. So he used Amy, uh, a brand new, fresh newbie missionary and her young Japanese tutoring companion, Masaki-san. That's who the Lord used 
to deliver this gentleman from the powers of darkness. And you can only imagine the impact that had on that neighborhood when they knew that the Japanese exorcists were unable to cast this demon out. And yet these two young women from the Christian missionary group there were able to cast it out in Jesus' name. That had to be a powerful witness uh, in that community. Now, Japan is not Amy's final destination in the mission field. Amy's greatest work, her hardest work, will be done in India. So we already know that Amy was not going to remain in Japan. So um, Amy was busy, busy, busy working and studying the language and all of those different things and doing her best to tell people about the love of God. And she wasn't feeling well. And Amy ended up diagnosed with what the locals called Japanese head. I'm not sure exactly what the nature of that illness was, but it was enough that the missionary group decided that Amy needed a chance to recover, so they were going to send her to China to join some missionaries in China and have a time of recovery there. And so they put her on board ship, and Amy was quite ill, quite ill. And she broke one of her own rules, that was to never travel first class. But she did uh, get a first class ticket. The um, Kes- uh, No doubt the Keswick Convention sent her the money and indicated first class ticket. And Amy said on this ship, to be honest, first class was like third class on an ocean liner. So it's not like she was living in luxury, but she was very sick. And Amy rejoiced. And she was so pleased that she was going to get to share her quarters with ladies that wore clothes. <laughs> And I'm not sure unless she was worried about having to share quarters with some gentlemen or, or men or something like that. But I thought that was that was cute. However, on her way to China, Amy felt the Lord calling her to a different destination to continue her missionary work. And so that's it for part two of Amy Carmichael. And I hope you enjoyed it. And I thank you for listening.